Petty Talk, Plain Talk, Unrivaled Talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a Monday morning. We've got lots to talk about. We've got plenty to look forward to. It's the beginning of another week. And after all, why not Brexit on a Monday uh, when you could have done it, I don't know, two years ago, four years ago? Could you have done it six years ago? Very possibly. We are going to be talking to Nick Dubois this morning, uh, former Tory MP, uh, author, uh, extraordinary uh, talk TV uh, producer as well, of course, and uh, quite often presenter. We're going to ask him about the Brexit deal that is coming up this afternoon. Apparently, uh, Rishi Sunak is going to meet up uh, with Ursula von der Leyen, as we like to call her, uh, and they're going to cook up some kind of scheme or more than likely, it's not going to be very good. More than likely, it's not even going to be a proper Brexit. And more than likely, if you're living in Northern Ireland, you're not going to be that happy about it. But we'll talk about it nonetheless. Peter Hitchens is going to be here defending his column at the weekend in which he wrote that he believed that Shemima Begum was our responsibility and that we should, of course, uh, be bringing her back to this country uh, for some kind of processing. I don't agree with him, so we'll have an interesting debate about that. We'll also be talking about justice for Joanna, the front page of The Sun this morning, uh, in which Dominic Raab has promised uh, as uh, the... Um, the man in position to do so, he vowed to review the parole bid of somebody called Robert Brown. You might remember this story. Robert Brown murdered uh, Joanna Simpson uh, in a brutal and ghastly way. He served half of his sentence and is due to be put out on parole very, very shortly. Uh, Joanna's family have urged Dominic Raab to actually do something about it to stop him coming out. And I think in this case, Dominic Raab will do the right thing because at the end of the day, what we know is that every six days in this country, somebody gets murdered by somebody who's been let out on parole. We'll also be talking to Howard Cox coming up because there's an awful lot of anti-car action going on at the moment. Um, an awful lot, there's Sheffield's got a new... Um, clean air rule and they're going, to, they're going to be kicking off their sort of ULES um, section today. So they're going to be charging you for driving into bits of Sheffield which they didn't used to charge you for. Peter Cardwell is going to be with us. Stephen Wolfe is going to talk about um, a man who was saved from deportation only to commit murder which is not a great piece of news either. And lots and lots of other stories going on as well. 0344 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and this is of course Talk TV. Coming up, we've got it all for you. A very good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on a Monday morning. It's the last Monday in February, actually. It's going to be March soon. Don't forget there's a teacher strike coming up. Oh, also, I should mention to you uh, that the NHS would rather you didn't bother them today because apparently a lot of the people working in the NHS are suffering from stress, suffering from exhaustion, and they're very, very tired. And they'd rather you didn't bother them with any kind of nasty complaints like, you know, you might be feeling a bit ill or you might even need some hospital treatment. The latest story that I saw over the weekend, incredibly, was that if you are a woman going in to have a baby, you might not be given any gas and air in the hospital, uh, which is a way of pain killing, because uh, it might, might be bad for the midwife. Nick Dubois here. I mean, sorry to kick you off. I, I, read, I read that story, I mean, and, and they're doing it in Princess Alexandra Hospital mm, in Harlow, who's near me, yeah. and, and I thought it was a joke. Yeah, I know. I it's really, I mean, it, I mean, I kid you not, when I used to say this, I thought it was just being whimsical. 
the people in the NHS would rather you didn't go to the hospital. They'd but, rather you didn't bother them with anything like, you know, any sort of illness. Just just don't get ill. Well, you're just getting that sense, aren't you? Mm. The, the, every time we talk about the NHS, the one thing we're not talking about is uh, actually outcomes for patients. Yes. And and that, to me, is why I get really fed up. You, 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 you've got, like, organisations. They, they come on uh, these programmes with, with us here at Talk TV, uh, like Keep Our NHS Public. And you go and look at their website, and it's all about the politics of the NHS. NHS. It's mm. not about how do we improve outcomes. No. It's all about, you know, it's a very misleading um, debate when all you're going to hear is save our organisation. But you have to first ask the question, actually, is this organisation fit mm. and working? And then we'll discuss yes. saving it. And every time I talk to people about it, particularly people who are on strike, I say, who do you think is to blame for this? And they always blame the Tory government, when in yeah. fact, I always say to them, well, what about the people that actually run it? What well, about the people that run the NHS and the hospitals and the health trusts? Why don't they fix it? I was listening to you when you asked someone on, uh, 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 on a programme about that, and they completely botched the answer. Mm. And the reason they botched the answer is uh, the truth of the matter is the Andrew Lansley reforms, which obviously are very unpopular these days, the, the thing he did is he took the power away from ministers. Yeah. So you create bodies like NHS England, yeah. who are highly paid executives running the health service. Yes. They're, they're the first people yeah. um, who are making the decisions affecting us on the ground. And it was a mistake in many ways, giving mm. them that power, because you created a bureaucracy. Well, they clearly don't know what to do with it. And, well, and I think all they've managed to do so far is to change their name, isn't it? Uh, well, they've certainly, they'll probably rebrand themselves <laughs> once again to make us all feel better, <laughs> won't they? Let's talk about Brexit, because... I was going to say. I came in this morning and I said to Ricky, our, um, our guy in charge of all the content here at Talk TV, I said, I feel like I've gone back to the future. I feel like I'm listening to the radio this morning going, Brexit? Brexit? What do you mean? Uh, is it going to be a good deal? Is it going to be a bad deal? Is it going to be a complete break? I'm, I'm literally going, having sort of flashbacks to 2019 before the election when we spent hours and hours and hours sitting on the College Green outside Parliament talking endlessly to MPs, very cold weather. watching a stalemate <laughs> unfolding before mm. our very eyes and nothing happening. You feel like you want counselling, don't you? I do. You? Um, and, and I, I do. I kind of understand that. But I've, I've got to say, first my mouth dropped a little bit when mm. I started to read of... And look, there's, there's no way of saying this, and I've got no real time for the uh, EU Commission for particularly, and, and mm. I was a Brexiteer through and through. They have made an awful lot of concessions if these reports are right. And I'll tell you why I feel quite... This is the first thing I'm talking about. Mm. I sat in that negotiating room with Dominic Raab yeah. when they swore in blood that there was absolutely no way trusted trader schemes could be used yeah. to ease the, the, the goods between uh, Great Britain and mm. Northern Ireland when they were absolutely clear... Uh, that the single market rules had to apply right across Northern Ireland. There mm. was no budging on, as they kept saying, on the integrity of the single market. So whatever <laughs> else we hear today, they have moved. Yes. It's, not, it's not the British government yeah. that have moved today. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing right. is both the upside and what's hidden in there that we might not like. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard much from old Giva Hofstadt on the eve of this meeting, so I don't know whether he's been told to shut up uh, or whether he's just really so annoyed that he can't say anything. Well, it, it, I mean, they're, they're really, they, they, someone should be asking them the question is, you could have actually agreed to all these things weeks ago, because I can tell you now, like it or not, we would have bitten their hand off mm. if they'd agreed to those asks that yes. we were negotiating Absolutely for. Absolutely right. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to accept that that might not please everyone, but the, the brutal reality is here we are five years mm. later. And let's face it, a lot of grief for the, the businesses, particularly in Northern Ireland and the consumers who have had problems because of this heavy hand of enforcing 
absolutely absurd mm. regulations on Northern Ireland in the name of trying to do Britain down and punish them for wanting yeah, to leave. absolutely right. And this whole kind of punishment business needs to stop. Just as we speak, Keir Starmer apparently has appeared on our screens because he's speaking this morning again mm. in London about his plans for economic growth. I'm already tired of looking at him. You know, why does he keep popping up and talking? Well, he didn't say much last time. He didn't say very much of any interest at all. (laughs) No, and and I saw one advanced headline on this. He's apparently going to come up and say, uh, uh, what I'm going to do to make life easier for young people is to relax the planning laws on building houses, and this will drive the economy. Now, how many times have we heard this? No. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm thinking, if that's your best idea, mm. chum, you need to go back to the drawing board. Yes. I mean, what he could do to get himself elected completely and utterly in a flash, right, would be to say, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to reverse all of the anti-car legislation currently oh, uh, in play. We're going to get rid of all of the ULEZ zones up and down the country. They're opening one in Sheffield today. Uh, they're going to start one in Glasgow shortly. And we used to always say, when we talked about about the London uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, this will come to you soon. Well, now it's coming, and it's coming to, to Manchester very shortly. Andy Burnham tried to bring it in mm. this year, was kind of rebuffed by the public. If he actually wanted to be on a winning ticket, if he said, I'm going to be a friend to the motorists of this country, which would include all small business, all trucking companies, all business that actually relies on transport... He'd absolutely walk it. And, and of course, uh, he, he also, I can argue, stimulate economic growth a lot if we stop well, yeah. penalising heavily all these people who are carrying yeah. our goods. Well, how many high streets do you work? go to where you exactly. see shop after shop shut down, empty, because one, nobody can park there, yeah. and two, there's literally no footfall? Well, um, East Hearts District Council, where I live, they've just introduced Sunday parking charges. You think, well, Brilliant. that's going to help, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's going to help drive you. Anyway, the point is, you know, the motorist is an easy target. Yes. There's a huge vested interest in actually having a pop at the motorists, all for the green agenda, Mm. and we know what an industry that is. He is not the sort of politician, Keir Starmer, to take a stand against that. You're going to get more, Eulers. Yeah. You're going to get more oh, I know. attacks on Well, cars. he's talking about building a greener economy. Mm. So he's already gone down the net zero route, but we'll come back to that. Just go back to Brexit for a second. Yeah. Um, so are you expecting there to be something rather better than, than, than I am then this afternoon? Well, look, uh, I look at it like this in a way. I think everyone is pretty sick and tired of the fact that Brexit wasn't done. Yeah. And that the deal Boris Johnson signed up to, which, in fairness, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. He was signing up to a deal that he knew would not work in the belief that with his 80 majority... He could change He it. could get it and done, yeah. No, there's no question. Like I mean, I said yeah. it at the time. He's clearly kicked Northern Ireland yeah. into long grass on yeah. the basis that that was the sticking point. He said, in order to get over the sticking point, we'll just leave it hanging yeah. and then we'll fix it later. Absolutely no question. But, but here we are now with an election a, a year and a half away, um, probably, uh, maybe sooner. And most of Rishi Sunak's MPs are going to say, we can live with this because... There is no real... We've changed things in Northern Ireland so dramatically. Mm. We've got a really good deal. You've won concessions. The EU have won nothing from us, except, by the way, watch this space tonight, because I think that's when it will be slipped out that the government will drop the um, Northern Ireland Protocol Bill in the House of Lords, which was basically... Well, I heard Kay Hoey talking to Julia just this morning on breakfast, and she said, until I've read the actual text, Mm. until I've read the agreement in in its entirety, Mm. uh, I will not really be able to know 
what sort of a deal this exactly. is and how good it is yeah. or how bad it is. But there's definitely a sense, isn't there? It seems to me, um, and and it's been kind of kind of conjoined, if you like, by certain people in the media. That you know, oh, we've sort of moved on from Brexit now. Twenty nineteen was a long time ago, and uh, what we wanted then does it really matter now? Does it? Does it really matter? Well, and I worry about that. Well, the debate, the debate to me is, I, I mean, I do think that there is a a uh, a real possibility over a longer period of time that Brexit will fundamentally be undermined and there will be a movement that will start gathering momentum yeah. to try and take us back into a well, form of Well, there's no question, market. and this is why I nominated on Plank of the Week this week uh, the Ramonas, because they've all kind of crept back out of the undergrowth because they all smell blood, don't they? They all think, oh, there's a bit of a crack in the system here. There's a bit of a break in the alliance, so maybe we can get back in. I, I actually think, however, that when we do look at the detail on this, uh, and really... The, the the issue here is going to be what happens in Northern Ireland because yeah. you know everyone talks, Mike, about the uh, how important it is to preserve the Good Friday Agreement. Well, the uh, the only thing that we know about the um, Good Friday Agreement that's been under threat ever since the Northern Ireland Protocol came in was the ability for the cross community consensus, i.e., or they have the democratic rights to make decisions rests in Northern Ireland. What we'll see today will be a huge advance towards bringing that cohesion in Northern Ireland, but we don't know if the DUP, the key political party, are going to sign up to it. My bet is they won't rule it out. They will do exactly what Kate Huey has said, is that um, they will go away and study this and think about this. That's the breathing Mm. space Rishi Sunak wants, because I think he he wants people to look at the positives there are. It's yeah. not going to give us everything. I mean, to be fair to be to Rishi Sunak, which not very many people want to be, at least he's trying to do it. Well, in fairness, you could ask, why has he tried to do it? Because yeah. in, in many ways, he's bringing on a potential yeah. he fight. Could have, he could have just let it go like everybody else did. Yeah, but I, I suspect, in a way, this thorn around his side is um, is something that he feels, if he can get out of the way, he can say, see, you may think I'm a technocratic manager, but I do get things done. And that's probably where most people are going to sit on this uh, deal Now, for his own troubles in the party, I think even if the DUP, certainly if the DUP kind of say very little today uh, um, and, and go away and think about mm. it, he, he probably won't have that much of a rebellion on his hands. There will be 20, maybe 25 people, 30 from the ERG who will not accept this mm. because there is... And we don't know the detail, but there is a role for the European courts. But it looks like it's very, very minimal. Mm. And even people like Michael Howard, you know, don't get much more Eurosceptic yeah. than him are saying, I don't think we should get too concerned about mm. this. You've got David Davis, former Secretary of State for Brexit, the first Secretary of State, saying, I'm minded to support this. Mm. You can tell where this is yeah. going. Yeah. But I a lot rests so. on the DUP, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Nick Dubois here. We're going to talk about Dominic Raab coming up, those bullying allegations. He did the rounds yesterday uh, on the Sunday morning shows, talked to Laura Kunz. Uh, talk to Sophie Bridge on Sky as well. We'll find out uh, what Nick made of all that. I thought he was given a bit of a rum deal by the BBC, but no surprise there. Uh, also, how about this from somebody who doesn't give a name? Hi, Mike. Can you mention about the congestion charge they're trying to bring into Cambridge? We had a great rally yesterday against it. They estimate around about 6,000 people turned up. They even want to include the hospital in the safe zone. Well, there you go. Ridiculous, right? Cambridge. I mean, Cambridge is a haven for cyclists, I'm told, as well. So you can tell they're barking up the wrong tree. Uh, this is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is a Monday morning. It's very chilly out there. It's surprisingly cold and there is a bit more of a cold snap coming uh, as far as I know. Uh, although not as bad as uh, uh, New York and California. It's actually snowed in California over the weekend, which is a bit unusual. Um, Nick Dubois here, however. Let's talk about Dominic Raab. You yep. worked with him, as you say, very closely. A um, couple of things. First of all, justice for Joanna, the front page today um, about Joanna Simpson, who was murdered brutally by a guy called Robert Brown, um, who was, I think, in the midst of getting divorced from her uh, when he killed her. He basically attacked her with a hammer uh, on Halloween 2010, a week before their divorce was due to be finalised. He served half of a 26-year sentence and is seeking to be released on licence in November. We know from the, the parole board's figures from earlier, probably this year in January, that something like one person every six days is murdered by somebody who's supposed to be out on parole. I mean, the parole system is knackered, it seems to me. And this, this came as a result of a Dominic Raab interview yesterday, um, which I think we've got, have we? Yes? Yeah, let's have a look. I'm not if, in control. If you're clear, then you won't resign. So what will happen if, you do, if you're not clear? Well, I, l allow me to respond in the right uh, way at the right time, of course. Look, if an allegation of bullying is upheld, I would resign. That's another clip of him saying that uh, yeah, he would resign if, uh, clip, if, if, if allegations about him bullying were, were correct. Just first of all on the, on the parole thing. I mean, he's good at this, isn't he, Dominic Raab? He has worked on these kinds of cases before and he has changed what is about to happen. Yeah, and look, the bottom line is... Uh, you say the parole system's bust. I think the justice system is pretty, I agree. Uh, pretty checkered. If we're already saying you can come out after 13 years and you're eligible after horrific crimes mm. like that. Right. And no one thinks that this is justice. No one thinks that this is fair or right. And I thought Dominic dealt with it straight head on. Mm. Um, I hope it's not false hope for the family, the victims here. I, 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 and, and I hope it's dealt with swiftly. Yeah. And the parole board, you know, people say politicians shouldn't interfere in things like this. And I say, no, uh, I think, you know, nothing is more important mm. than politicians representing Absolutely. those views of, course. of people who feel justice is not being yeah. served. And not and, only and, that justice has not been served, but that their safety may be uh, compromised. Ab absolutely protecting their safety as well. You're, you're quite right to, to pick me up on that. But but fundamentally, you've only you don't need to have a, a long think about this. No. one, do you to know that this person you said the crime was 2010, Mike, mm. it's 2023 yeah. now. And this guy's, we're talking about his freedom. Yeah. Really? I know. I mean, I just think there are certain things from which you should not get freedom and you should not be able to be rehabilitated because you just can't. But on the broader question, and, and the clip we just saw there addressed that, uh, Dominic Raab was answering questions yesterday on, on pretty much on the BBC, on Sky, possibly another couple of other shows about these allegations about bullying. But I thought the BBC really stitched him up yesterday because I watched it last night. I very rarely watch it live because uh, you know, I'm out with a dog at that time on a Sunday morning. Um, but Laura Kunzberg sort of interviewed him. I thought he, he handled it very well. I thought he, can, he, he answered the questions. He said he, there were certain things he couldn't talk about because there was an inquiry going on. Um, but she then, you know, sort of dismissed him. He walks out of the studio. She then goes back to her panel, which included one of the union leaders. Dave I think it was Dave, was Dave it? Prent is it Prentice? That could be. Um, the guy from the, from the Civil Service Union, anyway. Uh, who then started this sort of litany of how many, you know, six different people have complained about his bullying uh, and people have talked about, all anonymous, you know, nobody's named. It's all kind of, you know, hearsay, it seems to me. Um, talking about these bullying allegations as if they were facts. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I think that there is a definite attempt to create some momentum so yeah. Dominic Raab loses his job, and that's coming particularly from the union leaders. I mean, yeah. no doubt about that right. at all. And I find it slightly hypocritical, actually, because... Mm. Um, there's a chap called, uh, I'm sure I've got his name right, who is 
Dave Penman from the FDA, which okay. is the First Division Association, who in February was complaining about Dominic Raab talking in public about these matters. Um, and yet, I haven't heard that same person say these briefings by these civil servants yeah. who are saying how awful Dominic Raab right. is and so forth. He hasn't criticised those, all right. these off-the-record briefings, talking about how hard, apparently, Dominic Raab might stare at you if you didn't give the correct yeah. answer, this sort of stuff. Right. Th- there was that sense that a load of momentum was being created mm. to get another ministerial scout, yeah. um, something the media are often uh, accused of. Yes. But this, I feel... Oh, well, some is, in the media are very enthusiastic yeah. about this, aren't they? So, so when when it, when it comes to these things, um, uh, you know, if you look down at the bottom line of the issues, uh, ministers are always, I, I, this, is, this is my attempt to sum it up. Ministers every day, they get in their red boxes and uh, during their day, they get basically put forward uh, a problem, mm. two or three suggested solutions and if you like, a, a limited summary of the consequences mm. and benefits of those solutions. Right. All of those are put together by the civil service. And a minister who does his job doesn't Mm. just go, okay, which one are you recommending? I'll sign that off. That's good. A minister tests, challenges, demands more information to support before he makes a decision. That is how I saw Dominic Raab operate. And that's how business should be conducted. That is how it should be conducted. Uh, and we seem to be in an era where where the very idea that the minister should challenge and even challenge to the point where he's saying, look, I, I don't I, I'm not prepared to make a decision mm. on this. You need to come yeah. back with me with more information. Also, uh, let's they're now not complaining forget, about the nature yeah, and style of doing But let's that. not forget that also those people who would be having FaceTime, as we used to call it, mm-hmm. um, with the minister would be pretty senior, wouldn't they? So these people would be paid a large amount of money from the public purse to be reasonably robust. You know, if you're getting a six-figure salary, you shouldn't be wilting every single second that somebody says something to you and going home in tears, as some of them said they were. I mean, do me a favour. You've certainly got you've certainly got a mixture of people um, in the civil service. And again, I'll put my caveat in, Mike, and I know this might annoy some people, but I have worked with very, very good civil servants yeah. as well who, yeah. who respond, just like you say. Right. Who, 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 I've done it. I've led a government, independent government requiry, right. and I would test their assertions. Mm. We'd have really robust discussions, and it was great. That's yeah. how we got to the right. solutions. But broadly speaking, you're absolutely right. You, you would bring in the director of a direct... Um, yeah. uh, I think they've got some multiple director generals no doubt. in one yeah, department. Sure. Never mind. I'm sure if I walked else. into any department of government... <laughs> Look I at an organisation chart. Yeah, yeah. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah. So, so, and, they, and you would have that sort of level at the table. And, orchard, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yes, yes, you could do with some great pruning there. Um, so so you would have these very robust yeah. discussions. You would also then have his private office, which would have younger people, but still the cream of mm. the cream of the civil service yeah. want to be in the private office. Right. Um, so you've got a mixture. And I would sit in, as, a, as, as my job was, mm. and it is the, the job of most special advisors, sit in on virtually every meeting so yeah. I could see what was going yes. on and what was happening, which right. is one of the reasons I was very pleased to give evidence at that inquiry, which right. obviously I can't go into. No, of course. But, but suffice it to say... But, you know, I, listen, I, I, I've known I you long enough uh, now, I think, to be able to say, look, if you say he's not a bully, then I'm, oh, going, with, I'm going with your judgment on yeah, that. Yeah, ab- absolutely, I would say that. And I never witnessed anything that could remotely be described as right. that. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is... He's been acute. He's he speaks about it when he's asked at an interview, mm. right? Uh, having given a very um, uh, uh, more important interview in some respects on Brexit, the the interviewer then has license to talk to him about this uh, and ask him questions about it. 
he's 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 in that very difficult position of saying, well, what can I really say? Because I'm in the middle of an inquiry on mm. uh, on, on this issue, right. and I'm trying to do the rest of my job as deputy prime minister. He gets attacked if he does say something, like yes. from people on on the FDA. Mm. He gets attacked if he doesn't say something, and they're all saying, ah, you see, here's a really good example yeah. of why the deputy prime minister should have stepped down so we could have this right. inquiry. Why would you want to give license yeah. to civil servants to complain about a minister and then know that mm. they're going to be asked to step down once an inquiry once goes again, on? We see that the unions are not just about protecting the rights of their members. They're all about bringing down the government. Well, you That's just what have to they read their websites to see Yeah, exactly. That. And I mean, you know, as uh, somebody pointed out, I was listening to, to an interview this morning uh, about the teaching unions who are back on strike this week, by the way, mm. Thursday, I think it is, um, because they want to save the, ch- the schools and the children. And, you know, mm. but uh, somebody reminded me that it was a Labour Party conference, I think, in the, within the last couple of years where a teacher got up and said that, you know, our job is not done until... Um, every single child that leaves our schools yeah. never votes Tory. Yeah, exactly. And you go, sorry, um, how about just teaching them English and maths? Maybe that would be a good idea. I mean, we had a, a survey last week where 38% of people under the age of 24 weren't sure who won the war. Uh, yes, right? and, and, and a few could identify who Churchill yeah. was. Yeah, well, maybe they should take a leaf out of President Zelensky's uh, book, who, well, who has pictures who, well, a bust of Churchill has a bust in his of bunker. Churchill in his bunker, yeah. and we are shamefully uh, traducing his memory Well, they, you know, in our schools. I, I remember doing a programme here where there was talk that the Winston Churchill Society were, under, were going to start to remove his name at one oh, point, um, which is ludicrous. And yeah, yeah there, there you have Incredible. a... You know, look... Uh, nobody's perfect, are they? And uh, if you go through history, you'll find uh, great people ha- have their flaws. There's absolutely yeah, but no not, I mean, it's so and, obvious, there's not even a need to say it. That, right. And and yet, the idea that you cancel people, mm. right, and, and you could go so far as to, uh, how ludicrous that is, because, you know, if you want, if you want to learn from the past... Mm. You do that by looking at history, taking history mm. in its full understandable knowledge, yes. not censored, yeah. and you otherwise you may repeat the mistakes yeah. of the past. Our history is something to be uh, learnt from. It's something to be, I believe, broadly very proud of. Sure. Of course there were flaws Absolutely. and mistakes in there, and we don't repeat those uh, unless, of course, we cancel them out and everyone forgets about them and you're bound to end up making similar mistakes. Yes. Now, speaking of the empire, just before oh, I let you yes, go, yes. uh, you're about to have some. Well, you've already got the letters after your name, but you're about to be um, honoured, are you not? Yeah, I go to I go to Windsor Castle tomorrow. <laughs> yes, and are I, you sure I'm, you don't want to boycott it because it's got the word empire in it? No, absolutely. <laughs> I shall be there, commander of the British Empire, most excellent order of the British yes. Empire. I'm I'm really thrilled by this. It's going to be a great day out for myself, my wife, and two of my children. Lovely. I'm limited, and we turn up there tomorrow afternoon. No idea who's going to pin it on. Yeah. Um, yeah, they don't tell you. A friend of mine, not Donald McLeod, had it had it done last year. He, he, it was one of the greatest days of his life. He said, "Yeah, it will be. It will Just be good amazing. fun." And I have to say, we've lined up scones, and I'm going to confess this in a cost of living crisis, yeah. and I'll probably get told off by yeah. lots of people. Scones and champagne. I think you entirely deserve uh, it. Absolutely. After a lifetime of service, <laughs> you and Meghan Markle. I mean, there's not much. <laughs> don't to pick between don't the two put of you. them in the same breath. How dare you? Brilliant, uh, Nick. Good to see you. See you back very soon. Nick Dubois there, uh, making perfect sense on so many things. Coming up, we're going to talk to Stephen Wolfe, director of the Centre for Migration and Economic Prosperity, as a lot to talk about with him. Uh, There's yet more migrant problems. There's yet more migrant stories. This is Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. You know what to do. We've got loads of time to take loads of your calls today. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're going to be talking about uh, the Brexit deal that's happening this afternoon. We're told uh, there's going to be an announcement made. Rishi Sunak is meeting uh, with Ursula von der Leyen, as I like to call her. Uh, who knows what the subjects uh, of that uh, agreement are going to be? Probably not something that everybody's going to be particularly happy with. Probably uh, something that some Brexiteers might feel uh, it's a little bit of a watered down Brexit. But we shall see. Um, in some ways, as much as it pains me to say so, uh, you've got to give Rishi Sunak credit for actually doing something rather than leaving it all just hanging around in the air, which it was neither one thing nor the other. I mean, Northern Ireland at the moment is both in the European Union and not in the European Union. So it's a bit of a problem. But let's talk now to Stephen Wolfe, um, a man who uh, may have a view on the Brexit situation, but ra rather we're going to talk to him about the Centre for Migration and Economic Prosperity, which he's the director of, um, because we've seen more migrant stories over the course of the weekend. We've seen the government saying they're going to clamp down uh, on migrant uh, lawyers who are constantly pushing them towards the courts and constantly finding new ways of keeping illegal migrants here. Uh, there was a terrible, terrible uh, tragedy, of course, in the uh, Mediterranean where uh, scores of migrants died when their boat sank on its way to Italy. Uh, we've also got, of course, another story today um, of a man who was supposed to be deported, who was here um, having committed a terrible, terrible crime. He was freed instead and he was saved from being deported um, and then committed yet another murder. You know, the whole situation is getting critical, and I think we need to do something about it. Uh, Stephen is here. Stephen, very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for, uh, for joining us. Let's kick things off, um, first of all, with this um, Ernesto Elliott, a criminal who was saved from deportation. Um, another case of uh, absolute and utter madness, it seems to me. Uh, he was saved from deportation by the Labour Party, I think, by some activist lawyers. Um, and he's now committed yet another murder. So instead of being deported back to where he came from, uh, he turns out to be uh, given an opportunity to kill again. Absolutely. And this has shown once again why people like myself have campaigned quite vigorously to say that if people have committed serious crimes, such as murder, manslaughter, rape and uh, GBH, for example, big drug dealing cases, that they should be deported. And we should ignore those in the immigration industry who are seeking to protect them. And what we saw in this case, if you remember, this Mr. Elliot was actually on a plane. And he was removed from that plane and saved from, amongst others, 60 uh, celebrities who wrote a letter suggesting that people like him should be able to remain free on the streets here. And those who supported him from the trade unions and also in the Labour Party movement. And once again, we've seen the loss of life. And not only him, as I understand it at the moment, we have 23 other serious criminals who also have faced deportation, also been refused by these same types of people walking the streets and potentially committing crimes mm. again. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we've got this terrible situation. We've got justice for Joanne on the front page of The Sun this morning. We've got a parole board which seems to be very happy to let very dangerous people back out onto the streets. And somebody gets murdered every six days as a result of that. Um, it's bad mm. enough that we've got plenty of our own homegrown killers uh, without actually importing them, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And we do know that, and I will give credit to the Home Office and uh, Rishi Sunak, that they have tried really hard over the past six months to increase the number of what we would commonly call deportations, but it's actually uh, enforced removals. And they're succeeding quite well with the Albanians and the Albanian deal, uh, and they've managed to remove more than they usually do. But there is still a massive sticking point 
when it comes down to serious criminals who have committed crimes. And there needs to be, in my view, a, a very robust movement from the government legal department working with the government to try and challenge those in the courts who are using all the opportunities from uh, sla like modern slavery acts, mm. the European Court of Human Rights and our own Human Rights Act to keep those people in. There is movement and that we've got to welcome that, but there needs to be a lot more ground on this now. Well, there's certainly um, been stories written over the weekend, one in the Express, in which um, it says the government's going to crack down on these activist lawyers. Because, I mean, even watching the Shemima Begum case last week, you know, two lawyers come out at the end of it saying, oh, this is not the end of the case by any means. It turns <laughs> out they're all getting legal aid. You're going, well, hang on a minute. You know, if she's not a British citizen and they're representing her, why on earth are they being paid by taxpayers to represent somebody who is not welcome in this country and should never come back? I find it extraordinary. It is extraordinary, but that all, all comes from our membership, or rather our signatories to the UN Convention on Refugees, because within that clause, it says that every state who is a member has to provide uh, legal advice and legal representation to those who are claiming asylum. And Shamima Begum would have come under slightly different areas, not asylum, because she's lost her right to have uh, live here and have her own passport and nationality. Yeah. But for generally those people who are claiming asylum, they get uh, legal aid because mm. of that connection. And what you do see, our research is showing roughly around four million pounds a year is being used on legal aid. Right. And it's, it's, that's on the, the legal aid side, but of course the government also spends similar amounts of money defending it. Yeah. Then we have the court system itself, then we have the judges and the immigration tribunals, so the costs are roughly around uh, 10 to 20 million pounds a year. Right. And there's no question, is there, that there's a sort of legal gravy train going on here? You know, a combination of the, uh, the people like Care for Calais, who get a lot of mentions <laughs> lately uh, for some of the work that they do. Uh, they had a demonstration, I think, at the weekend saying racist out, refugees in, basically making out that they'd rather kick out British citizens that they don't agree with uh, and welcome in people that they don't even know uh, to replace them. It seems an amazing situation to me. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, I don't know why they imagine that everybody coming in on a dinghy is a decent person who has never committed any kind of crime, has never been any kind of terrorist and is never going to do anything wrong here, despite the fact that they don't know who they are, where they've come from and what they've done. Well, there are two points to this, uh, Mike, and you've always been very fair on this as well as I, as I have, is that we know that from my visits to the camps in 2014 and 15 in France, that there are people who are generally fleeing war and torture and, and serious suffering. And so that's why you get those people who work for the charities and the NGOs saying this is why we're there. But where they don't ever work uh, successfully is recognising what we also know is that those masses of economic migrants nowadays who are seeking just to come for work, they're not fleeing the torture, they're using its excuses. And of course, they make millions from this. Now, one of the things that's very difficult for an organization like myself, and I've spoken to others like Migration Watch, is actually trying to track down how much money the non-government organizations and charities are getting from the state. Because we know that council, councils provide them with money. We know that the Home Office provides them with money. We know them they get from education departments as well and other government agencies. Rough estimates are putting them in hundreds of millions of pounds a year. So it's, it really is in their interest to uh, keep keep the migrant industry going because their jobs are on the line, as well as them saying they satisfy their own moral values. But they do not ever recognize that there are those who are serious criminals, potential terrorists or economic migrants. They treat them all the same and, and never make any distinction.
No, exactly. And that is where the problem lies. And of course, we've seen, uh, and people have talked to me about this already, what happens when these boats start to get bigger? Because the boat that we saw capsizing uh, in the Mediterranean had something close to 200 people on it. You know, what's to stop them from bringing bigger boats here? And to, to, the answer to which I can't get from anybody, but basically there's nothing that stops them. If they turn up with 200 instead of 45 or whatever on a dinghy, you know, we'll just welcome the 200 in, won't we? Oh, absolutely. And we'll do exactly the same because the boats actually have been getting bigger and bigger. We, we heard reports early on in the year where we know that uh, in Germany they were acting as a kind of centre for receiving larger boats made in China and then distributing them to the Calais through the people smuggling gangs. The very sad and upsetting aspects of what's happening in Italy uh, and off the coast of Libya is that there have been quite a lot of deaths over the last two years the, the, because the numbers are continuing. We've had deaths in the channels as well. Mm. And that's always stemming from lots of governments, including those in the US, has had three and a half million in the past 18 months come across the Mexican border, is that these governments are not acting strong enough to deter the people smugglers. And the people smugglers are using ever-increasing tools, technology and equipment to supply their clients with the opportunities to get into the various countries. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get bigger boats. And even if they didn't, we'd still have a lot this year. The estimates are 80,000 people to come across this year, which is getting very close to the huge numbers we saw in 2000, 2001 under the Blair government. Yeah, absolutely right. Stephen, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Stephen Wolfe, Director of the Centre for Migration and Economic Prosperity there. Uh, with not very good news, I'm afraid, for those of you who like to have um, people coming to this country who want to do good things rather than bad things. Uh, people who are not deported and then commit murder. People um, who take advantage of the systems here. And particularly, I'm talking about lawyers. Particularly, I'm talking about charities the organisations that make an absolute fortune from the migrant business. And that includes, by the way, the people traffickers and Serco, the people who are spending so much money housing uh, these people in hotels and in other people's houses, but also then charging the government billions and billions and billions of pounds a year uh, in government contracts. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The sky, as ever, has turned blue. We're only on for an hour, you know, uh, and already the sky is looking better than it was when I started. Uh, and already the uptake and the outlook uh, has improved for everybody as well. Because that's what we do here. We try to bring you the news, we try to entertain and educate and inform, but we also try to cheer you up a bit from time to time. Uh, and I'm sure that you, like me, could do with a bit of that on a Monday morning. I came in this morning thinking, oh, another week. But actually, once you start working, it's fine. Peter Hitchens is here, um, a man who has a sort of backwards week because obviously he writes his column on a Sunday. Uh, so technically this may be your, um, I don't know, would this be your Saturday rather than your Monday? It's hard to work out. I do live, Difficult. My, I do live my weeks backwards. <laughs> and often um, my days as well. So. Well, listen, I mean, we've all worked in some very odd places in some have, very yeah. strange hours, haven't we? Um, I remember whenever I was in California... Um, you'd more or less have to go to bed at some ludicrous hour so that you could be up in time to talk to the desk in the morning um, when it would be the middle of the night. 
Yeah, so I remember once staying up in the middle of the night in Florida so yeah. I could talk to the Today program on the BBC right. about the launch of a, of a, tri- of a tr- Trident missile I once watched. A Trident missile? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm, an amazing I'm, day there. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cape Canaveral was quite a place. Um, yeah. I went there to doorstep some astronauts once who were coming in on the space shuttle and uh, I woke up late and I was driving down you know, the, the, the highway A1A at great speed and I could see the shuttle coming in um, oh, wow. and I just about got there yeah. in time for it to land and they were taken straight from the shuttle onto a plane and flown to Houston. Yeah, well, I, I, saw, I saw the Trident <laughs> launch and it, you, you, it, Greenpeace were trying very hard to stop it from happening. Yeah. So we, we were driving around the, 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 the Atlantic for some long time trying to find a place where Greenpeace couldn't get at us right. and then eventually <laughs> we got to the launch. It's quite spectacular. Well, it really it. is. I mean, that, that, all of that space stuff is, is fascinating. Yeah. But anyway, um, let's talk about Shemima Begum because yeah. Yeah. You, um, not not unlike many other people, took the view at the weekend that she should be brought here, that she is our responsibility. Um, I disagree with you, and I said last week that I'm more than happy for us not to spend any more money on yeah. her. Um, so, so why not make your case um, yeah, for those who haven't seen it? I didn't really ever intend to get involved in this. I hadn't previously done so. And a few weeks ago, I had I found myself in a in a, a, a debate elsewhere in mm. which I I had to come to a conclusion, and yes, it, it wasn't. Uh, there weren't perhaps all that many people listening and watching at the time, but I thought I'm on a bound when the thing next comes up in any prominence to make it plain this is what I think. Mm. It would be dishonest to pretend or keep quiet about it. Yeah. I don't... It, 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 you mustn't get confused. I'm sure you're not, but other people say, well, are you arguing in her favour? No. I, no, of course not. I've no. not met her. I'm sure if I did, I wouldn't like her. I think that many of the things that she's, she's said are, are obviously deeply unpleasant. And, and most importantly of all, I think... If she comes back here and there is evidence against her that that, that amounts to criminal charges, then mm. she It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Obviously, ought to be tried on those charges in a, in a proper court of law yeah. with an impartial jury. And if she's then convicted, then she should be punished for it. But that's where I, mm. where I really get off this particular train. It's absolutely essential to me that people are not punished until they've been tried and found guilty. This is the way around we do it. And frankly, to go around disapproving of terrorists is pretty ludicrous if you if you don't defend the fundamentals of free society. Mm. And that is that people are not punished uh, without the rule of law, without due process. That's what Magna Carta says. That's what makes us different 
from all the other places on Earth, and also what makes us different from terrorists. So are we're you very given to killing people without yeah, trial. Yeah, so are you concerned more about whether she's brought back here or more concerned about whether her passport should have been taken off her? Because my overriding, I suppose, piece of evidence is a difficult piece of evidence to swallow because it's one that I don't know what it is. But what it is is the uh, information that's been supplied by the intelligence agencies to the court well. to say, basically... Uh, this woman is such a danger, and here's why, that she cannot ever be brought back here. But on that precedent, if MI5 goes to, goes to um, the government and leaks to the press that it's got things, terrible things against you, which mean that you really should be locked up in the Tower yeah. of London, and you're dragged off to the Tower of London, uh, then, then basically that's the same thing. I, I don't, I'm afraid. Well, it is. Except <coughs> I don't have very great trust except in Except for the fact that I didn't go and join ISIS in a foreign country. Well, no, you, you, you didn't. But people could, uh, people could hold other things against you. And, I, and also, and you, also the other thing do. is you weren't, you, you weren't 15 or anything like it. You aren't an immature and not particularly bright or well-educated young woman who's been yeah. sucked into some ridiculous cult. And I, one of the other things I said was that you may think that I'm pretty awful now, but you... I'm much, much, much better than I was when I was 15. I was terrible when I was well, 15. Well, yeah. And I think we have but, but, to but, I mean, bear I had that this, in mind. But I did have this extent. conversation. Somebody rang in the other yeah. uh, last week to say, you must remember when you were 15, to which I said, yeah, I do remember. I went on a holiday to America uh, with my school. I pinched a couple of things from some shops. Um, I took some souvenirs, took some pictures, and I came home. What I didn't do uh, was join up with some, you know, death cult terrorist group yeah, because did, I thought it would be a good if idea. If you'd been unlucky in your, in, in your pinching stuff from shops, you could have ended up in, the, in the, the American penal system, which could have been quite hard on you for the rest of your life. You could have ruined your entire life. Mm. I'm, just, it's, I, I'm, I'm slightly uh, unenthusiastic about people who, who get very, very moralistic about the actions of others uh, anyway. Mm. I find this you know, our, our basic struggle is to keep control of ourselves and to stop doing bad things ourselves. That, so that, that's also an element. I think there's a lot of people who, who, who visit their own... Uh, their own anger on this person hmm. when they might be better off examining themselves. That's a general rule no, I, of, I mean, of, of and, life. And, and, me. and on, in ordinary but, circumstances, but, but I would be... I would tend also very tricky about the way in which Her Majesty's government has, has, has behaved. I think it is ridiculous to maintain that this woman who's never been to Bangladesh or applied for Bangladeshi citizenship is a Bangladeshi citizen. It's stretching things. If, if she went there, if if they ever did let her in, they've said they'd execute her anyway. It's, it, it's, well, that's what, it, no, that's what her not, lawyers say. She does not genuinely have, that's what the Bangladeshi government says, as I understand it, she does not genuinely have dual citizenship, and it's a fantasy, and I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, the appeal court upheld this point, mm. and, I, and I'm shocked by the behaviour of the, of the so-called Supreme Court in overturning that, because I think dispassionate judges should have known better, but I, I, I have a low opinion of the Supreme Court anyway. I think, it, I think it's fundamentally tricksy of the government to pretend that she has dual nationality and that they therefore have no responsibility. Well, uh, to be fair, they haven't, said right. that, they haven't said that she's got dual nationality. They've said that she could seek another nationality if she so wished, and she could. And just because they're going to say that they're going to execute her, which they haven't actually said to her. I mean, there are rules for terrorism that would mean that she would face execution. Well, However, one of the issues about her guilt or otherwise, is that if she was to come back here and be tried, nobody's quite sure what would you try her on, because would you try her on things that she's said? There isn't really any evidence of anything well, that she's done. These days, I mean, I, I don't particularly approve of this myself, but these days, they're all, since the Blair government, there are all kinds of offences connected to terrorism, such as glorifying terrorism yeah. and, and actions. Well, she's like, already like committed a, a, a crime by joining ISIS. 
Yeah, I think. Well, so, so, I, so, well, to, we. we I'd never say anyone's committed a crime until you've seen the evidence, and we've. Well, she's admitted that she joined ISIS. So I think we know that. Okay, right. Let, I, let, if th these things are, uh, are not really central to my point. My point really is this: there are two things. And first of all, this is fundamentally a weak government. It's weak on terrorism. It's weak on terrorism in several ways. And the way I would, I would first of all point out is that is, this is uh, this is a government which has given into and continues to give into terrorism in, in Northern Ireland and gave into the IRA yeah. and invited Martin McGuinness, uh, a known leader of a terrorist organization, to have dinner with the Queen in white tie and tails yeah. at Windsor Castle. So they're not tough on terrorism. This is also a government which, following its, frankly, incomprehensibly crazy policy in Syria, at one stage found itself in bed with a, with an organization called the Al-Nusra Front, which is an affiliate of Al-Qaeda. So quite where they stand on terrorism, I don't know. And it's also a government, this is, this is the crucial thing, and I think one of the reasons for this grandstanding, which cannot control our own borders. Uh, people come into this country daily mm. uh, about whom we know absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. nothing in very large numbers, and they, they, they refuse to address it in any serious way. But this makes them look tough in the eyes of uh, basically well, of, the, of the mob. It's actually worse than that, I, isn't it? I, I don't think. I don't. And this is the problem. Don't be manipulated by this. If you no. if you think this is a government that's weak on terrorism, don't be fooled by their treatment of this woman uh, into thinking that they've suddenly become. Tough. No, I don't think they are tough on terrorism any more than you do. And in fact, they've some two fifty or three hundred odd people who have been to uh, Syria and joined ISIS in a similar way to Shamima Begum. Uh, who are already back here, who have already been accepted back into the country. We don't know exactly where they all are. Some of them might be in prison. Mm. But I just think that, you know, people are sick to death of this individual. People don't want to see any more public money wasted on her. And given that uh, she said so many things detrimental to this country, it's almost as though she has absented herself as a UK citizen. Whether you say she can't do that or not, she more or less has. And now she thinks that she can come back. People, I think, are generally just sick to death of it. Well, I don't blame them for being sick to death of them, but that doesn't doesn't alter the fact that there there remain principles of justice, and there are also principles of of the the, the freedoms of somebody who's a citizen of this country to enter to enter and leave this country freely. And I think she is entitled to do so. And I don't think any good legal position has been made out so that she shouldn't. If she comes back and she's liable for for uh, to, to to be prosecuted and comes under criminal penalties, then okay. But I don't. Th also, to make it a matter of money. Uh, seems to me to be dodging it. Uh, we all know. Well, the money. We is all in know addition. that we all know that the government wastes huge, of course, huge quantities of money on rubbish. Uh, as far as I can say, money spent on justice is never wasted, and it has to be one of the things that we absolutely insist on because it is the basis of our civilization. For 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 nearly a thousand years now, we've differed from from other places because we insist on justice and the rule of law. Yes, but and our justice system... And the presumption system, of innocence... But our justice trial. system, I believe, now is not to be trusted. I don't right? disagree with I you. I would not I, trust the justice but that's system. But that's not an argument for undermining it by refusing to, by refusing to apply it when you have to in a, in a, in well, a, in a case well, which, except is, you which don't has have become, to. whether we like it or not, a major case. Yeah. No, it is a major case. And but we can't, we can't, and therefore, if, if in, the, in, in, in this instance of a major case, we turn around and say we're not prepared... Uh, to spend the necessary money to do justice, then we are treating justice with contempt. Well, maybe so, but there are two Absolutely reasons why. So. There are two reasons why I think um, this can happen. I.e., that she can be left where she is. One, she has had her citizenship taken away. Whether you like it or not, that has happened. Um, 
Whether you think that that should have happened is another story, but the fact is that it has happened. So th this country now owes her nothing. It doesn't owe her a debt of, of justice. It doesn't owe her... Also, the crimes were committed in Syria. If somebody came here from Syria and committed crimes in London, you wouldn't expect them to be taken back to Syria to stand trial. She would stand trial for the crimes in London, would she not? Yeah. So therefore, she should stand trial for any kind of crime in the country in which she currently lives. Well, I, the, the crimes which, of which she is accused or which are alleged against her are definitely cr uh, crimes against the laws of this country, and she is a citizen of this country. And if she, if she said, I never want to come back here again, I'm not, I'm not coming here, then it wouldn't be so much of an Yeah, issue. but her crimes but, were but not the, committed the truth here. Is she, does, she does say she wants to come back here, and therefore she places herself in that case. I don't un care under, she wants under, to the, under the rules of British justice. So if she is to be... Uh, prosecuted, and if there is evidence which which makes that justifiable, then that will happen here. There doesn't. I'm not. I'm not particularly fair with how the, the the Syrian prosecution service works, but there doesn't seem to be much sign of anybody well, it's trying than to prosecute her out there. Well, I mean, all I know is that the only other sort of international cases that we've ever looked at have all involved people being sentenced to horrible sentences, possibly even death sentences, in other countries because they've committed crimes in those countries. Remember the case of the, the women in the Bangkok Hilton? Remember the case of the Colombian drug smugglers? Yeah. You know, these were people who had committed crimes in those countries, were sentenced in those countries, and then we intervened to bring them back here because it was a humanitarian thing to do. In this woman's case, she's not British anymore. She's committed crimes overseas. Yeah, we owe her that's nothing. That's your first premise that she's not British anymore. I don't. Well, think, I don't think that's a settled. I don't think that's a settled uh, fact. I think it's a. It's a it's well, a, it's a fact that she has no the, the, UK citizenship. At the very citizenship. least, it's arguable. I don't think she has any other nationality. I think. Uh, I, I think I'm she, not. She I don't was, care what sort of nationality she was born here and brought up here. She went to school here. She, you know, this is the language that she speaks. This is the passport that she holds. I think it's a. I think it's a dodge to pretend that she has any other nationality. Well, yeah, but the, the, also, fact, is, if no, she has, the fact is she if, has been no. stripped of her nationality. Well, That's she a has, fact. She, has, has she been lawfully stripped of it, both under British nationality? According to our laws, under, well, yes. Well, I don't believe so. Under British nationality law and, and under international law, you cannot make somebody stateless. Which is what we have done, and and and, and there she is. She is she's stateless in Syria. But we I break think. international laws whenever we feel like it. Well, we? But should we? Well, yeah, because we in shouldn't favor be. Favour that? Yeah, of course I am, because well, I don't it, believe it, then that. Then you call down on yourself the, the, all kinds of lawlessness. If you go abroad and you're and, and, and something horrible happens to you and you fall foul of the legal system mm. of some other country, then you have you you've, you have by saying what you've just said cast aside the protections of law, which would otherwise have come to your aid. All of us are protected by law. It's very easy in an individual case to get carried away mm. by emotion and say, all right, in this case, no, toss her in the, in, in, in the brig, throw away the key, melt it, don't have any further trial. She doesn't deserve any more consideration. You then have to work out whether this could ever apply to you. Mm. Almost all of us, at some point or other, might fall into a position you where we would really long for the protections of law, which you have yourself dismissed as unimportant and, and something well, that doesn't matter to you now. The I have point said, about law is that it's, it's, it applies universally. Yeah, but there are lots not, of laws which don't apply in all countries, right? There are plenty of laws, for example, like the death penalty, which doesn't apply here. True. So you could go to America, you could kill somebody, you could be found guilty of first-degree murder, you could be on death row. You might, because you're British, and because of the relationship between Britain and America, get off that, and they might be persuaded by an argument which was made by the British government to let you go and to come back here. But it wouldn't help the people um, who you had done wrong and the same way she has committed all sorts of horrible crimes well, against the people she is, she is of accused. Syria. She's um, accused of all sorts of horrible crimes. 
Well, she's uh, admitted lots of them. Well, she, hasn't she? Has she? Yeah. I'm not sure that she's admitted crimes, but I mean, whether she has or not, it remains the case that, she, that if the state is to punish her for them, then, then she, she has to admit them in, in court. Uh, in, in Syria? If she pleads guilty, well, if she pleads guilty in, in a court, then, then she subjects herself to the punishment of those crimes in whatever court. But she should has. she not be tried where she is? I don't, I don't, I, I, she doesn't want to stay where she is. Well, I she don't has, care what no, she wants. No, I, oh, I do, because I think she has, as the holder of, of, a, of, a, of a British... Not any longer. Well, she, she, I think she's been wrongfully deprived of it. Well, the court system here doesn't agree with you. I know However, there is somebody who does agree with you. I often disagree with these... Yeah. With these, with these Jonathan Hall, KC, no right. less, uh, the reviewer of terrorism legislation, he says he's going to argue that she should be allowed to return from Syria... Uh, because this is the position taken by key allies, including the United States. Well, OK. That's so another, that's, that's, you've got that's, him on your that's side. another good idea. I have all kinds of people on my side. The most, <laughs> Julie amazing, thing, as well. most amazing thing that happened to me yesterday on Twitter was that John Sweeney, a man with whom I have constant, often quite rude and personal rows, yeah. almost everything, chimed in to right. say that I was right on this right. matter. And I, Jacob Rees-Mogg also agrees with me. But I don't. I, I don't really. I would do it on my own if necessary. Because mm. I think that there's another element in this which we haven't discussed, which is the simple stripped of all law, the simple moral one. I think this is this is cruelty, and I think it's mercilessness. And I believe well, maybe she very, deserves a bit very of that. strongly in showing mercy. Maybe she deserves a bit of that. No, nobody deserves it. And it's, mm. it is, if, if, if you care about these things, and the, 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 as you know, the source of our laws still remains, although it's often denied by the courts now, the source of our still remains the Christian religion. The Christian religion absolutely insists on mercy as an element of justice. And to, 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 to leave this woman out there forever in exile in this place where she doesn't want to be is merciless. And I am just against that. I get that. Uh, I disagree. Um, we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Grant. It's here we've been talking about Shamara Begum and the case he's made that she should be coming back here to stand trial. A lot of people, you might not be surprised to know, disagreeing with you on uh, on my Twitter feed. Uh, Begum committed her crimes in Syria, so they can deal with her, says Dean. Uh, one from... Um, uh, glorious. As Peter is totally missing the point. She committed crimes in Syria, so she should go through the Syrian justice system. His response is, but she wants to come back. And what has that got to do with the price of fish? And then finally, Chloe asked uh, Peter Hitchens how he would feel if Begum came back and blew up children at a pop concert. Has he seen all the intelligence on her? Well, no, I haven't seen the intelligence on her, nor has anybody else. And I'm not necessarily, given what I know about the intelligence organisations, uh, going to rely on that. Uh, until but I should probably... we not trust yeah. them? No, I would, th these are the people who brought us uh, uh, 50, uh, 45 minutes to, from being attacked by Saddam and the people who brought well, us... Well, to be fair, that was Tony Blair. Of mass destruction. That was Tony Blair well, announced to Campbell. Yeah, but all the accounts of what they say are brought to us by politicians. Yeah, it's no, no, this is what Sergeant Javid has said. If you knew what I knew, but what yeah. he allegedly knows comes from... The security services, they aren't subject. Well, yeah, but hang on. They, they, can, they, they aren't subject to the rules that bind, for instance, no, us. But, but we can't, we but can't just say anything about anybody. No, but the intelligence files were presented to the judge in the case who yeah, made yeah. this decision. So it's not quite right to say that they're politically motivated because the judge is not politically motivated. The judge isn't politically motivated. And he's taken that view. OK, the judge has taken that view. OK, but I, I still think that, uh, that, that under the, and this is in the, the American Bill of Rights and it's in the general... Uh, general view of anybody who does anything about justice. If you're going to be accused of something, you should be presented with the evidence against you, and you should and, and be told who the witnesses are against you, and allowed to prepare a defence against it. She's not being allowed to do that. That's not just. 
and it's it's not just. And Do you it's think not, it's, it's just merciful. that she should get legal aid? Completely, yes, because how else is she going to be able to afford it? Well, she a, shouldn't a, a be able to. Well, well, I think an awful lot of people would say no, legal aid right, should so not be justice given. Is, justice is expensive, but everybody should have it. If, if, someone, if, if we have in, in this country people, people who are punished for things they haven't done, uh, a wrongly sentenced for, 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 for crimes they haven't committed, then we, are, we should be ashamed of ourselves. We should make every effort not to allow it to happen. If that means that, that, that people get legal aid, then that's how it has to be. And anybody who decries that just needs to wait until they're wrongly accused of something themselves. Mm. And then I'm, they'll have a very different view about it from the one they have I suspect, have like And it happens to people that they're wrongly accused. Of course of it does. Never expected. Of course it does. And then suddenly they understand well, what these principles are. Yeah. Just but I think use some imagination things, in this. But the it's, things that if, she if was you, involved this in... This degrades our own justice yeah. system. But the things that she was involved in are so heinous. and It's almost as though the justice system doesn't actually really understand um, the world, you know, the justice well, system not, is not I, designed in the same way that the asylum system is not designed for people to break it and come here uh, willy nilly. I mean, people joked last week that the best way for her to get here would be to get on a dinghy from northern France and just pitch well, up as, Dover, as you rightly say, and she'd she, probably be in a hotel in Leicester she, within she, half she, an hour. She, she could disappear into our unpolluted yeah. cities, as I said in my article in the Mail on Sunday. This is this is what the government fails to do, and it's precisely because the government fails in these matters. Uh, that it that it enjoys making this mm-hmm. this example out of Shimon Begum, and that's that, that that's one of the things. I mean, can't you see? Uh, you're being manipulated here. You're, you're, the government is using fake toughness to divert your attention from its 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 actual weakness, and this is not toughness. This is actual. Uh, this is weakness, mercilessness, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm willing un- unlawful behaviour. I'll tell you what I'm willing to, to believe up that it is. That actually I'm, no good at I'm willing to believe that it's tokenist. Yes. Yeah, However, yeah. I'm quite happy to go along with it on the basis that she's a ghastly, hideous individual who I'd never want to see in this country. So that's my point. But that's no, that's not the basis of justice. The basis of justice is even ghastly, hideous individuals who you never want to see in the rest of your life still get yeah. a fair trial because that is what makes a civilised country different from a barbaric country. Yeah. It's well, also, as I say, only, it's a fundamental well, divergence we, between between a, a, a law-governed free country and terrorism. Well, if only The terrorist believes he has the absolute yes, right to well, kill whom he likes. If this government protected and, and, the people in this country as well as they protect the rights of other people who shouldn't be here, that would be fine. Yeah, but, but they the, don't. But this, the treatment of Shamima Begum is not making any of us safer. It's not making us well, protection is stronger. And it is also weakening the justice system on which we all rely and and, and and appealing to all the worst mob instincts you could possibly find. Yeah, that's what we do here at Talk TV. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I mean, that was a joke, obviously. Do, that sure, was a but joke. Like, come on. Come on, uh, I'm joking. Um, now, let's talk about television, uh, just to end up, because you also wrote at the weekend about this new show about the Brinks Matt robbery, which was such a dramatic story at the time. A lot of people might not remember it, but you were quite rightly pointing out that they've sort of re- airbrushed history once again every, to make everything as if it was today every drama based on fact has at least one character if it's about the past at least one character from the 2020s mm. who can go and sneer at their lack of feminism and their lack of political correctness yeah. and, their, and, and everything else about them and in this case we have a, an invented a female detective in the flying squad who, mm. who per- performs this role they spend all this effort on getting the clothes right, the smoking yeah. right, the hair right, and then they have to insert this character. Ugh. And the other thing is that they, they, they make a, a major criminal 
into some kind of Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, they were horrible people, the Brink Smack crowd. I just, they don't they see, were they, Apparently they did actually threaten to cut the uh, the penis off one of the of the, yeah. of the guards, right. uh, which is something which was left out of the drama. Everyone says well, modern drama is terribly gritty. Uh, they tell everything. Mm. They don't, the no holds barred yeah. stuff they would once not have mentioned. But that did not play any part in it. It's a horrible, disgusting mm. threat that could only be made by a complete barbarian. Yeah. Why do they leave it out? Well, the guy who I think was known as Goldfinger um, ended up in Brazil. And I was still living in America at the time. And I was called by, I think it was the News of the World at the time. And I had to rush down to, to try and get a plane to Brazil. Got to Miami because um, he'd been captured in Brazil. And I thought, finally, I got a chance to go to Rio. Um, Czech called the office, as we call it, um, which is John Palmer was his name. That's right. Um, just rang the office to say, right, I'm at Miami International. I'm just about to get on a plane to Rio. They went, oh, don't go. Um, it looks like they're bringing him to America. And I was like, ah! So the one chance I had the of fatal, going... The fatal phone call. So, but I did get to spend about three days in the uh, rather delicious Miami hotel where they filmed Goldfinger, which is the... Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. It's a Hilton. Um, uh, but anyway, I'll, the name will come to me. But um, So it was very good, but I never got to go. But it was a fantastic story at the time, and nobody could... I think even the robbers didn't realise how much money they'd actually got their hands on. Apparently the whole thing was completely surprised to them. They had no idea that, 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 they, that they were going to get all that gold, and then they didn't know what to do with it. But... Even so, the past was different, and uh, people were not the way they are now. And why can't people recognise this? If this kind of thing goes on, as, as I said in the Mail on Sunday column, of massaging the past to make it more acceptable to, to politically correct people in our own age, then in the end they'll have to suppress the truth about the past. Yes. Just as they're rewriting all the books. Well, they, luckily they, they're, uh, they're they, the they, they've, they've reversed the Roald Dahl decision, haven't they? Well, they haven't reversed it. They're going to carry on doing it, but they're going to have a special edition in which you can you can continue to have Augustus Gloop in his original form and all the, all, all the other rude expressions. Mm. But how long will that last? Ultimately, I would say within 20 years, that all Roald Dahl books in, in, in current circulation in libraries and shops will be the, the expurgated version. And that turns out that they're, they're doing it with James Bond, aren't they? It, they it, are. It, it's incessant. And it's the whole theme of George Orwell's 1984, the central action of the main figure, Winston Smith, is he spends his drudgery days in the Ministry of Truth rewriting the newspapers of the past so that they, so, so they reflect the, the, the views, opinions and, yes. and demands of the government of the, of, the, of, the, of the present day. And I think this is happening to us. It's terrifying now. how much of that is actually going on as yeah. well. And you made that point last week very well. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, I was just going to try and find the name of that hotel, but I can't find it. Never mind. Um, it's the famous, sort of, you know, old-fashioned 50s kind of, you know, Art Deco type place. But anyway, uh, Peter Hitchens, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you next week. Uh, this is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, we're going to take some of your calls. Of course, we're going to talk about the energy price cap as well. Uh, apparently, it's going to come down a bit. Don't know what to. We'll find out. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots of you with plenty to say uh, about what uh, Peter Hitchens was just arguing for. Jackie says, where was Begum's mercy when she was sewing suicide bombers into their vests? What mercy when she was torturing women as part of the morality police uh, enacting strict Sharia law? Peter, who I respect, has lost the plot on this one. Um, well, listen, um, he's not the only person who thinks that she should be brought back. Lots of people do, including um, the man who's supposedly the terror watchdog in this country, who's a lawyer, uh, a KC, a King's Counsel, no less. But we, I'm sure we'll be having this argument for a very, very long time because her lawyers, thanks to legal aid, will be still pushing her case um, for uh, the rest of time, I suspect. But I, for one, uh, am quite willing to be part of mob justice and say I just don't think 
she should come back here. I just don't think we should waste any money on her. I think she's a ghastly individual. And now that she is no longer, in fact, a citizen of this great nation of ours, then, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, our responsibility for her has gone. But let's talk to Howard Cox, founder of Fair Fuel UK. A couple of reasons. There's some big, big anti-car stories to get our heads around this morning. As you might expect, they're still punishing anyone who's got a car. They're still trying to make you pay. They're still trying to convince you that you shouldn't be in a car, that you should be on a bike, uh, that you should be walking. I mean, just the, the, the hits never stop. Today, for example, in Sheffield, and if you are in Sheffield, you can let us know how it's going. Uh, they've started a clean air zone. Uh, which presumably means that the air isn't going to get any cleaner. They're just going to charge you for breathing it. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, Howard, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So, um, you know, we've been saying for a long time, haven't we, that this is all going to move rapidly around the country. It's not just Sadiq Khan and London. Uh, it's happening now in Cambridge, apparently, they started it. Uh, it's happening in Sheffield today. Glasgow uh, coming up very shortly is going to have um, an ultra low emission zone. Um, it's happening in places like Oxford. I mean, all over the country now, this madness, this green craziness is catching hold. Yeah, it's uh, Bristol, Birmingham and London, of course, are the pioneers of all this. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the fact is, you know, as you quite rightly pointed out, what benefit this is going to achieve except fatten the uh, purses of the local authorities? Yeah. Uh, there is no way that any of this is going to improve uh, the environment or improve the air we breathe. It's complete and utterly crass. And I hope that we can turn this around. A lot depends on the uh, five boroughs or six boroughs in Greater London who are actually taking a judicial review approach to the uh, Mayor of London. Yes. Well, I mean, the trouble is with all of this is is every politician, it seems, is convinced that they've got a cash cow on their hands. And they're right, because they have. And they can simply just adhere to these ridiculous ideas. Um, and suddenly they're a few million quid better off. I mean, what's, what's not to like if you're in a local council? Especially one that's, and I'm sorry I said bringing up, there is, uh, it's more than just Greater London and London and Sadiq Khan, but he's actually uh, requested 110 million more uh, to double the budget to actually pay for their scrappage scheme uh, uh, scenario. Right. And it's the irony, and this is the irony, is the Labour members in London have actually turned that down. Well, because <laughs> it's not enough. Well, probably, but the thing is, the, you know, they're quite happy to collect the cash, but they're not wanting to actually help people move to cleaner vehicles. That goes against the environmental purpose, surely. Well, I see there's a piece in the Sun today in which it says that car drivers are basically of the opinion that 2030 is too soon uh, to make oh, to, to, to make the swap to electric vehicles. And they're right, aren't they? Because it's, it's only seven years away. And if you're about to buy, say, a family car... Um, You've got enough problems trying to get one delivered at the moment, I think. I think it's slightly better than it was, you know, six months ago. But certainly as, as late as sort of late summer of last year, you couldn't even get a new car um, unless it was made in Japan or something because nothing was coming out of Europe. But they're basically expecting everybody to be on an electric car by seven years from now. If you're buying a, a new car now, you'd expect to keep it for probably 10 years, wouldn't you? Well, a lot of people are doing that. And that particular uh, research was done by the Alliance of British Drivers, who I, I work quite closely with. Yeah. Uh, f fundamentally, I mean, as you know, I did a CBR report in November last week with the Alliance of British Drivers and the Motorcycle Action Group, that that 2030 ban will cost five times more than any environmental benefit, mm. any alleged environmental benefit. So, again, we've got these myopic, clueless p politicians introducing policies against the will of the majority 
uh, simply to raise cash. Mm, exactly right. Jill sent us a tweet. She says the ULES charges blatantly affect middle and low-income families who can't afford Correct. to change their cars despite the measly scrappage schemes which are targeted mainly at those on benefits. With huge high fuel costs, people only use their cars when they need to, not on a whim. And I think that's right. I mean, the congestion problems that we have in this country are not caused by people going out for a jolly and going, oh, let's go for a nice drive and sit in traffic for three bloody hours. You know, it's not exactly a, it's not exactly a pleasure anymore driving, is it, in this country? So everyone who's out there is doing it because they have to. Well, I don't know where it's coming from because I get really angry with when someone says, we've got to get people out of their cars. We've got to get them onto bicycles. We've got to get them walking. No, we're not that. It's, what right have you got to do that? In the last century, the, the actual invention of uh, the motor car has been a liberating factor for all of us and for all our economies. Yes. What is going on at the moment, I don't know. And, I'm, and as you know, and, and thanks to Talk uh, TV, etc., we're getting our message across to a lot more MPs. 60 MPs, for example, are fighting to actually get a cut in fuel duty in the budget in two weeks' time, and also Pump Watch for you know getting a, a fair, transparent prices. Yes, absolutely right. I mean, also, I was looking at a story in the Telegraph today uh, where apparently um, the chief of Lime, uh, who runs a scooter, it's a scooter company, right, oh, yeah. on safety and going green car should be limited to 20 miles an hour to avoid an e-scooter ban. I don't know quite why he uh, makes those two things uh, sort of join upable, does he? Well, he's blaming uh, for the accidents that have happened to e-scooters on cars. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, so, uh, and, well, it, it would be. And he's, but he's, he's essentially saying, you know, we want to actually use the roads and please get out of the way, please, and go slower so we can get past you. Um, it, it's a complete and utter selfish here we go. You know, the old virtual signalling, you know, it's near to cycling sort of approach. Yeah. The driver is always attacked. And that's what it's about. I mean, it is incredible, isn't it? The numbers of things now that you have to, you know, avoid while driving a car. You know, bikes that don't go in bike lanes. You know, cyclists coming towards you the wrong way down a one-way street. Scooters swimming around inside the traffic lanes, going in and out of, of, of cars. I mean, I see these guys now coming up on the inside uh, when I'm driving, and you never know where, where they are. They come at all angles, all different ways, sideways, front ways, backwards. I mean, it's unbelievable. I know, it is disgusting. And, of course, a lot of them are avoiding the potholes as well. Yeah. Uh, we're, oh, we're don't, don't get me started about potholes. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, Mike, I've, but I'm afraid <laughs> welcome to my world. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I'll tell you where you should never also go. is Gat Don't ever go to Gatwick Airport. Uh, to, to park in the car park there because I damaged my wheels having uh, gone round it. It's so tight, right? And they've got yeah. a, they've got a sort of a curb yeah. which is about um, at least yes. a foot high, uh, which you can't get around without scraping. I mean, it's just ludicrous. You're going, hang on a minute, this is going to cost me a fortune driving in here. Uh, you know, I went to Heathrow the following week and there was no problem at all. But for some reason, the car park at Gatwick has got poles all over the place. They don't really want you there, clearly. They charge Correct. you, I think I paid something like 15 quid for being there for about 20 minutes. So it's unbelievable. Well, <laughs> well, see, and I think you've got another story regarding if you park your car in Heathrow, you've got a good chance it won't go actually be in a nice, secure parking area. It'll be parked in a street oh, yeah. somewhere. Well, some of those some of those car parking uh, crazy organisations where you you know what what they call long term parking on the outside of the airport sort of perimeter. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't touch any of them with a barge pole. You know, I mean, I don't even know whether they're driving the cars around. They might be renting them to people while you're on holiday. Well, the the important thing is people the, the trading standards and advertising standards. They promise secure parking. Yes, and they're not doing that, so they should be subject to criminal ta uh, uh, law uh, and the whole. They're just parking on roads, aren't they? 
Yes, exactly. And, and, and it's the, the Sun actually highlighted this today. I think a, a reporter undercover took his car in there and it was parked two miles away on a road in a lay-by. Uh, I mean, this is the sort of thing that's happening. And, and, and again, you know, there's 37 million drivers in this country. They're not only used as cash girls, but they are actually uh, demonised. The whole thing has got way beyond any joke anymore. This is very, very serious. And any party... Uh, we're actually listening now. If they listen to this, if they supported the motorists, there's a good chance they get elected. Yeah, that's what I told Nick Dubois this morning about Keir Starmer. How about this from Mandy? Last night, she says, I looked up the bus timetable in my area, which is pretty rural. Uh, there's a bus every two hours. It would be impossible to do anything. I mean, I remember when I lived in Wiltshire, uh, in a little town just outside of Devizes, right? There was a bus that went into Devizes at 9.30 in the morning and another one that came back at about 3.30 in the afternoon. So if you wanted to go into town... You had to not only go at a particular time, but you had to stay there for sort of five hours and then make sure you got the bus back. You couldn't do it. So a lot of old people just didn't go. Well, outside the big cities, public transport is a joke. It really is a joke. You cannot actually trust it. You can't rely on it. And it's not safe. Uh, these are the sorts of things. In London, for example, you can go anywhere, anywhere with with your Oyster card. It's fantastic. But again, you can't go everywhere with your Oyster card when you're carrying a, a set of ladders and a, a yeah. set of plumbing tools. Well, as long as they're not on strike, because I think there's a tube strike coming soon. There's going to be an oh, RM, no. another RMT strike coming soon, I'm pretty sure. I think maybe next weekend. But anyway, listen, Howard, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Howard Cox there, founder of Fair Fuel UK, fighting the good fight on behalf of the motorists. Not many people are, but we are uh, here at Talk TV because it is absolutely shocking what's going on out there. If you are in Sheffield, I'd love to hear from you today uh, to tell us how the system is actually working and if, in fact, they are handing out loads and loads and loads of fines because uh, that's what we need to know. It's a cash cow and that, for me, is a disgrace. Now, story uh, in The Sun this morning. Uh, it says, uh, late, the latest ridiculous wokery uh, is that Ian Fleming's 007 spy series is going to be modernised in order to protect readers' sensitivity. Philip Dewhurst, the president of James Bond fan club, said, this feels like the latest in a long line of extreme overreactions to an issue nobody asked to be solved. Apparently, in the new version of Live and Let Die... A scene in a New York club is altered to remove a strip tease reference. Uh, the original version says this, written in 1954, Bond could hear the audience panting and grunting like pigs at the trough. The new one says, Bond could sense the electric tension in the room. I mean, come on, do me a favour. Let's talk uh, to Tom Pickup, who's the host of Really 007, the podcast. Tom, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Hello, Tom. Good afternoon, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> That's OK. Um, I mean, we had Roald Dahl last week. Thought that was bad enough. I mean, seriously, they're not going to rewrite James Bond. I mean, people know who James Bond is. They know what he does. They know what he likes to do. I mean, for heaven's sake, what's going on? Well, first of all, it's the 70th anniversary of the first Fleming book. So the cynic might say this is quite a good publicity drive <laughs> yes. uh, to get people to, to buy the books. Well, I think yeah. personally... Yeah, personally, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea rewriting history because this novel was written, they were written in the 50s and the 60s. You know, to go back and edit things is a bit dodgy. Yes. What I think I would, should be done is you can have a disclaimer saying, you know, this, this uh, book was written in that time where attitudes were different uh, and, and it is offensive. There are really offensive things in there. You know, if you go back, some of the language used is bad, but it shouldn't be changed. It's, should be a warning there to sort of right. say 
this is bad. Well, surely and, people and must know that. Don't, don't people know that if something's written in 1954, uh, it actually might not be something that they would be used to reading? Yeah, and it, it wouldn't get published in that format now. And I think because, obviously, Ian Fleming's dead, he can't give his permission. I, I, the estate must have had some say in this, of course. Well, this is the thing. But, is this what happened last week when I discovered with, with the Roald Dahl situation? The, the copyright actually belongs to Netflix now because the family estate sold the copyright to Netflix. So, they, so basically they can't stop it. Yeah, and, and that's, that's become money's the waters more. But I, I don't think it's necessarily anything dreadful to worry about. You could say it is a bit 1984 slippery slope. Yeah. But certain things like the chapter, I think one chapter heading had a really, really offensive word that I can't possibly say. Hmm. So that does need to be changed. But also they haven't removed certain things like the certain homophobic language. That's remained. Right. So there does seem to be some very, very odd goings on. And I think it's easy to sort of get distracted into this woke argument where a simple disclaimer would have been fine. But like yeah. I say, we're talking about it now. And people are getting offended, I think. Well, it's not that we're getting offended. I think we're all just shrugging our shoulders and going, you know, what's going to happen next? Because obviously one of the questions that, that I'm going to ask you about is the movies themselves. Because, you know, as far as we know, Daniel Craig is not going to be James Bond anymore. We don't know whether there's going to be another James Bond, if there's going to be just a 007. Is it going to be a woman? Uh, is it going to be somebody that uh, would be a surprise um, encounter? You know, and are they going to... Because they tried to make Daniel Craig quite woke in his first movie, I remember. They made him sort of much more female-friendly, didn't they? They made him less of a kind of, you know, brute, less of a, a, a sort of a sexist, if you like. Um, but they kind of moved away from that again by the, by, by the last film that he did because it was kind of back to normal almost. Yeah, the, that happens. And I think the Bond films reflect the times they're in. Mm. And often, you know, through the 60s and the 70s into the 80s, some people go back at those films and think that Bond's behaviour was inappropriate. But we've looked at them, you know, so much. And you actually think that some of the characters in the 60s were just as progressive, if not more progressive than some of the ones that have been in the Daniel Craig era. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of chat about this. It will be there will be a new Bond announced. I just hope it's as soon as possible. Uh, I do think it will be a man. And I think as soon as that's announced, we're going to get very excited and we'll have more Bond films to discuss, hopefully. Well, indeed. Have you got a sort of a, a, a favourite cont contender for the for the job? Well, I, I think we as a podcast would, would like Henry Cavill, who, of course, is famous for Superman, yeah. and he's currently been in The Witcher. He said he wants to be Bond. He looks the part. He's English. He uh, was once considered, I think, when Daniel Craig was considered, but he was too young then. Right. He's about the right age. I think he's late 30s. I think he'd be perfect, mm. and... He's already famous, so I think in terms of bums on seats, it'd be a great, mm. a great choice. And are you hearing anything about whether it's James Bond or 007 or anything like that? <laughs> yes, I think it's got to be. I think at the end of No Time to Die, spoiler alert, it did say James Bond will return. Yeah. So I think it will just have to be, not forget what's just happened, but this is in a different time scale, different right. continuity, and we go back to a normal, we hope a sort of a normal mission where Bond is given the briefing from M and then saves the world, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely right. Good stuff. Thanks very much indeed. Tom Pickup there, the host of the Really 007 podcast. I had to say it that way. Woke finger is quite clever, isn't it? Imagine that, though. James Bond's book being rewritten. I mean, are they going to have to do this all over the place? Aren't they going to have to go and find all sorts of historical novels, books that were written hundreds of years ago, and they're going to have to change them all. What's going on?
This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.